0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This is episode one of the Eric Kaysen series. Um, If you're familiar with the What is Money show by Robert Breedlove, and if you're not, I highly suggest you check it out. But the format that he pioneered there was one of doing several episodes with uh, individual guests. And once I noticed it or or got exposure to it, I really liked it. Because even in the the case of a three-hour long-form podcast, I mean, there's so much stuff to discuss. So you still have to kind of move quickly if you want to cover off a lot of different things and not wanting to do that because, you know, my primary objective with this and with these conversations is not to just record another podcast and, you know, have it sit within a certain time constraint, but actually to enhance and refine my own understanding of these topics and my own perspective around these things and hopefully that of the person who I'm having the conversation with, and even, you know, as a bonus, all of you guys listening, then keeping it within certain constraints seems silly, you know, and I, you know, so I I just want to keep having conversations that I think are going to help refine my understanding, and the best way to do that, or one of the ways to do that, is to have those conversations as long as necessary with really, great, impressive, smart, knowledgeable, experienced people. And so Eric is one of them. Uh, I've known Eric for a while. He, he's been on a, a guest on the podcast before. He's also one of the four in the Huddle Hang crew that we do every few months. Um, he's worked in the space. He's worked at Coinbase. He's worked at Unchained Cap. He's a phenomenal writer. Um, you should check out his work at cryptosovereignty.org, I believe is the, uh, the URL. Um, and I just really appreciate his perspective and his thinking and his attitude about all this stuff. So what I'm, my approach to this is that it's just an open-ended conversation. So I don't know how many episodes there's going to be. Maybe it's the case that Eric and I will get together every couple weeks or every couple months for several years, you know, and that would be awesome as both of our understandings continue to get refined and then we kind of get back together to share them. And and bounce them off each other. Um, and that's going to be the format that I'm going to take with certain podcast guests moving forward so that we can do these topics and these ideas proper justice and, and hopefully uh, move forward and develop and grow and, and keep pushing the bounds of my and his and maybe your understanding about all this stuff. I'm still kind of finding my feet with the format and getting used to not moving at a certain pace and allowing the conversation to hang out or even bring it back to a certain topic if it hasn't been uh, satisfactorily fleshed out yet. So, you know, I'm sure things are probably going to be a little bit bumpy at the beginning, but uh, I'm sure I'll get better over time. And before we get going, I just want to shout out uh, the sponsors of this show. Thank you to three awesome Bitcoin companies for supporting this show. The first is CoinKite. You know them, you love them. The makers of the gold standard Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card, uh, excellent product, amazing company. The Bitcoin ethos permeates everything they do and they have a bunch of other awesome stuff for protecting your Bitcoin and also just expressing your interest and love for Bitcoin in different areas of your life. So many of you will be familiar with the cold card, but of course there's also open dimes for physically transacting Bitcoin. The BlockLock Mini, which displays sats per dollar, current block height, uh, current USD Bitcoin exchange rate, and lots of other fun stuff in their store. So check them out at coinkite.com. And if you're in Canada and you're looking to buy some Bitcoin, go to bullbitcoin.com. This is the place to do it. They're a non-custodial exchange. You send them your money, they buy Bitcoin, and they send it directly to your cold storage. So they don't hold on to it for you they make sure that you are custodying your Bitcoin, not your keys, not your coins. If that is a daunting proposition for you, they've recently launched bitcoinsupport.com. So basically this is a service in which they hold your hand and help you get set up properly for taking custody of your Bitcoin. So all the different things, the hardware wallets and the protocols and the coin control and all the different best practices for making sure That you're set up securely and as privately as possible with your bitcoin and that you are in control of it that's what this service is for now a lot of you may have already gone down the route of custodying your bitcoin so what i'm really excited about for this service is being able to send all the people that ask me questions about taking custody of their bitcoin which i don't have time to properly answer or hold their hand with i can now send them to This service, which is awesome. So bitcoinsupport.com. And lastly, the Bitcoin 2022 conference. Uh, This is where Bitcoiners come together to celebrate Bitcoin, to meet each other, to talk about all these ideas, which we often uh, talk about on podcasts and read in articles and that kind of stuff. And it's an incredible experience. I developed a ton of amazing friendships that I now include amongst my best friendships just over the course of a couple of days uh, last June for the Bitcoin 2021 conference. This one's going to be much bigger. It's going to be on Miami Beach. It's going to be sexy. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to go. So if you'd like to go, use the code rapidfire at checkout and get yourself 10% off.
1: Let's do it. What I'm realizing more and more is that like, we, like we've just stumbled into... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. You know, like it, it's this uh, like it's a renaissance, but it's so much more because what I'm getting through from the work with Heidegger is that like this, this is about the entirety of the world spirit, like coming to terms and recognition of like what the cost of statism has done. And also that like we're trapped in this infinite cage that like there's literally no way to extricate ourselves from it except through cryptography just because like the panopticon is too large, it's too powerful, it's too all seeing. And I like the only way to technologically reverse it is to like rebuild the web with its backbone being built on top of cryptography. And Bitcoin seems to be like this nascent backbone of it. And I mean, uh, Drew Banzel actually really influenced my thoughts in terms of uh, like thinking like 200 years out that like. Bitcoin has very little to actually do with like a monetary and exchange policy as much as it has to do with like an energy transfer network, because like that, that's essentially what we're doing is we're making energy transform from being this fiat lie into actually being fundamentally embedded through energy, which like energy money is the thing that humanity needs if we're going to get the space, particularly if we're going to use these massive amount of energy to like get ourselves out there. And so I've just been thinking more and more about how like it's much more about this facilitative function for energy. And that like, because of the way all of these things bond up together, like it opens humanity up to this totally new world that was never possible before Bitcoin, not just on the side of challenging and pushing back on the state, but creating this mechanism for us to actually have the market means to open up space exploration, which seems to be the next horizon of humanity.
0: Yeah, I, c- <clears throat> I couldn't agree more. I mean, the state is just, you know, a parasite that's uh, leeching off of what otherwise could be a, a far more flourishing system of, of exchange and interaction and innovation and all that kind of stuff. So it's certainly not the end. It's more of a means to, the, to an end to at least greatly reduce it and then see what comes as a result of the system that takes its place and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, it is interesting that it's like the, it's almost a given that one of the highest ideals for our civilization is to go out into space. Like I can appreciate why and not let's just forget the whole like climate change disaster. We need a second, you know, we need a plan B, but let's just assume it's because there's more like there's something of great worth or value out there. Like, don't get me wrong. I dig it. Like it's cool and I like to watch it and it'll be awesome. If my grandkids like fucking vacation to Mars or wherever the fuck someday, but I don't know. It's like, I'm, it's not that much. I got a lot of questions from a curiosity standpoint. I'm super intrigued. Right. But man, this world, this world could be <clears> so fucking amazing if we just fix a few things you know, like it. we live on a oh, goddamn I- paradise planet. You know, one of the things that's just like blows my mind about this place, like rain, it doesn't rain very often, but every like occasionally there's like a, a shower, right? Like an afternoon shower or something like that. And there's rainbows all the fucking time here. So I'm walking down the beach. There's a beautiful ocean breeze. <laughs> the sun is out. The water is amazing. The beach is incredible. There's almost nobody on the beach. And then a fucking rainbow is just shooting across the sky. And I'm like this is too amazing like how is it that this is the reality that we that we live in you know and so
1: it's um, funny uh, i, I have the same thing like it. on the opposite side because <laughs> like i'm on the west because same thing like i go for these walks on these extraordinary cliffside. like i you might have seen some of the pictures i've had on twitter and like this is what i do every morning is i go out and i go for a walk out of these bluffs and like I'll have these astounding views where I can see for a hundred miles and you know, the clouds are coming in, the mist is changing and rainbows. And yeah, like I'm like, well, why would anyone want to sacrifice this? In addition to the fact that, like, well, going to space is cool, but like, I feel like this is the same liberal nonsense that's getting applied elsewhere. Like, Oh, we'll go to space. and No, like you're going to go to space as a fucking slave and you're going to get like cancer and all sorts of horrific shit. And like humans weren't ever bound to be there. And yeah. furthermore, like your, your stupid bullshit of trying to get off this planet to save it is the same idiocy of like, Hey, like, look, look, you know, like, well, let's make nuclear weapons to save humanity. Like what you fucking idiots, which is like the gain of function research too. It's like, let's make the most deadly virus that humanity's has ever seen to try to, fa- oh shit, it got out you guys. <laughs> Dang.
0: Well, it's also I like, what, threat, what are yeah? you hoping to find out there? Like, or more importantly, what are you hoping to find that could even be conceivably better than any, like, than what's available here?
1: Maybe there's something. I think that's sort of the irony, is to, like, go look around everywhere in the fucking solar system and be like, turns out, like, Earth (laughs) is, like, a pretty great place for, like, people (laughs) to be, you know? Um, Yeah. And I also think it's dangerous that, uh, because to me, like, the other thing about space that's so important is, like, Space is the final frontier of war. And, like, that's fucking scary to talk about, but, like, particularly in our state-based totalitarianism thing that, like, in my mind, we have to get into space simply so that uh, to essentially, like, front-run and get in front of the ability of states to essentially put nuclear weapons up there and start fucking with each other. You know, like, I, I guess the best I can hope for is, like, an Ender's Game sort of reality where some space entity presents itself and goes look give us all the nuclear weapons and like we'll be in charge of it in space like moving forward because like you people are all fucking morons uh whether or not that happens like i don't know but i also know that like um like where we're at today particularly with covid and the state and totalitarianism the panopticon, it's very clear to me that things are accelerating in a very dramatic way in addition to like this is an extremely unique position that humanity's ever been in like I, I very sincerely believe that the direction we're moving we're talking about an actual existential threat to humanity itself uh, right. and like that because like the big thing is is like just like just to before to you go on is,
0: just before you go on with the big thing is let's just let's just roll into this you know because I, right. I feel i feel like do we're you want going an to, intro
1: or anything no no i feel we like are, we're into, we into
0: it now anyway, so we might as well just keep going but uh, I just wanted to let you know that now we're into it. So go on.
1: We're going. Okay. Yeah. We're going. Uh, so, like a great example is the Chinese genocide of the Uyghur people. To me, like this, this is such the quintessential genocide because, like, it's not about killing people; it's about hollowing them out. It's about obliterating their culture. And creating these free bodies, not like in terms of freedom, but in terms of like, they're vacant, they're, they're almost Empty like vessels. that can be occupied. Yeah. You know, and to me, like, this is what the totalitarianism of the Panopticon is about. and And like, this was the first example that truly captures how powerful it is, because very different from the Nazi genocide of just trying to eliminate the Jews and very different from say the Serbian genocide of like, let's just try to like rape out all of the the Muslims. This is in my opinion, a much more horrific uh, and final creation of what the Panopticon wants is to be able to watch everybody all the time for whatever reason it wants, abduct them, put them in re-education camps, destroy any idea of culture, sovereignty, individuality Uh, And I think that's where we're going. And that's sort of what vaccine passports are about because it's not, not only is it not about the vaccine passports, but to me, the bigger one is, is that you now have a segmented population that will not comply. And it's about making sure that those people that don't comply get put in, you know, whatever sort of authoritarian camps that are created. Uh, And so like with this being what's going on, I think that we've actually, and this is why I talk so much about the, the theological and the astrological stuff. And to, to me, this is actually astrological. Because like if you put all humans in the same, this same modeling of what's going on in China and how the Uyghurs are being treated, this creates something that, in my opinion, we're not humans anymore. We're some sort of biological machine. Uh, and that's what the state wants. You know, like it really fears the idea of self-sovereign individuals that can think and do things outside the box and, and, and react. And again, now it loops us back to so like Bitcoin and why it's so important is to me, this is literally messianic because it's the, I can't think of anything else that can realistically resist the capacity and ability of the state. In addition to, like, I'd like to connect the fact of uh, 3D weapon printing and cryptography and the way that there's a deep relationship between these two, and uh, the way that, like, these two things together can kind of self-propel a, a revolution that's beyond revolutionary, messianic, and that it changes the entire framework of how statism operates.
0: Mm-hmm. Naturally, I have a lot of questions. But, you know, one of them in terms of the current time we're in and like, you know, I, I think we, there's a lot of blame to go around, but do you think that, and I know there there's, it's, it's, it's like, well, it's inevitable that there are a variety of agendas at play, right? Everyone's playing to their incentives. And maybe may be the case that those with the most power and control in society have their own agenda playing to their incentives and, you know, largely responsible for many of the things that we would be critical of today. But do you think that there's some like malevolent intent there? Or is it some kind of unconscious, improperly oriented animus, like an energy almost, a possession of some kind, that's fostering this perception that that you articulated in, in how these people might view other people And how they therefore might want to control or manipulate them like do you think it's deeper than simply political and economic agendas and it's actually fundamentally how you construe your world and how you see the other
1: absolutely uh yeah it's the it's the latter one and i'd say it's uh it's almost a subconscious uh it's pretty much viewing the world from this fear-based and terror stance uh that that like actually manifests from that viewpoint it's sort of like staring in the abyss for too long the abyss stares back into you um and so i think that that people that are engaged in all these things like you know anthony fossey for example like I think all the shit he said, he sincerely believes that he thought, you know, tens of millions of people were going to die and all this kind of shit. And that if we don't implement the, the panopticon and vaccine passports, that all this crazy shit will happen. None of it's true. And it's kind of embarrassing to think of the sacrifices that are created in that. But this is just part of how people govern themselves when you govern purely through fear. Um, and to me, like, that's the entirety of like what COVID has been about. And I would also connect it to fiat money is it's always about fear. It isn't about enabling and empowering. It's about the fear of what happens if we don't do X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Uh, and it's really important to understand that, that this, this fear predication of governance, um, that's one of the things I've felt very strongly about what's going on here in the United States is I'm so hungry and desperate for true leadership of someone to say, look, yes, it's a disease. People can catch it, whatever else, but to, to say, look, we're not willing to sacrifice our forms of life anymore. It is important for us to quite literally face the world openly and to not hide behind something. And uh, I think that's a big part of what's going on is that the entire apparatus of politics at this point in time is only occupied by people that understand this game of utilizing fear to manipulate people and i think it's quite extraordinary actually that i have a very difficult time recalling any politicians that operate in a different direction about uh really trying to empower individuals at this point in time so Mm -hmm. you know i I do think that um and not to say that there aren't malevolent people out there i i just i think the vast majority of people don't engage in that in any sincere way and I think mostly what's going on right now is just the banality of evil at play you know people are like look I follow orders to me that's the, the highest value uh, I'm not supposed to look at these other questions that's not my obligation and it's no surprise that like this this deep into statism that we would uh, find that most people that are part of that occupy that same place of where it's not their duty to question this thing and I mean, the, the, the best example of that is, is, you know, to me, I'm violently anti-war. And anytime I talk to people about the idea of taxation and why, like, and, and how, like, it's absurd to pay this money so that bombs can be used to go blow up brown people. And there's always the, you know, the, uh, the prattle that they utilize, you know, to try to justify everything that's going on. It's just jibber-jabber, you know, and at the end of the day, they don't address the actual topic of what's happening. is immoral and wrong you know? So, so, so yeah, I think it's this unconscious thing that's operating from a place of, of, and I, and I, and I don't think it has any words actually. Like, I think it's, it's a purely uh, emotional experience of fear. And that's why it's so subconscious is because it just permeates throughout their entirety of their being and is inherently how they respond.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my uh, thinking on it too. And it's, it's interesting, you know, you, in one of your pieces, actually, you quote Carl Schmidt and you say all significant concepts of the modern theory of the state are secularized theological concepts. And I do wonder, you know, I want to not overstate the detrimental effects of a lack of faith or spirituality, because even in eras that ostensibly had those uh, uh, like high prevalence of such beliefs, the state was very overbearing and tyrannical, and or at least it had the capacity to be. But it does seem like today, you know, this fear that we're talking about, it's like basically what, where does that fear come from? Why does it manifest or fester? And what are typically have been or could be the different things that would assuage that fear or recontextualize it in a way that's more healthy and, and allows for perception and behavior that is more moral or more collaborative or more freedom oriented and i do think it seems to me that fairly rational that if you want to exacerbate that fear then the materialist reductionist worldview is a pretty good way to do it because you're left in a position where you think everything is mechanical there's nothing after this there's no meaning and so basically you know this this is this is my one shot and there's no higher order to derive wisdom from so therefore this is one shot and i'm like i'm the final arbiter basically and those two things taken together i feel like instill an incredible fear of death and two the leaves the door very much ajar for each individual to become and want to become a tyrant because there's the, the, there's no higher authority let's say it's all a a, a competition or battle for in, for the authority to be invested in individuals and I think you know the, our modern the, the, the modern construction of the state seems very reflective of that to me so this is why I think you know I, I've framed it in this way before in that. And this will be very unappealing to some people. But there does seem to be a spiritual battle happening here as well. you know, and you you've, you just reference that to a certain degree, and you, you have in your work as well. But what, what's your take on if we agree that a lot of the the seeming malevolence that's emerging in the world today, or that's prevailing, dominating in the world today, comes from that fundamental fear rather than, let's say, the antithesis, which may be love, or some allegiance to something higher, something more comforting. Uh, what do you think is, where do you think that comes from? And how do you think it's manifesting? What do you think it's manifesting?
1: Well, I, I think we've inherited it. Um, and, and there are several kind of successive generations of the inheritance of this, you know, and I, I think Nietzsche was the first to really hit the nail on the head with the death of God. And, and to be clear, like he wasn't talking about, you know, like now there is no longer actually any God. He was talking about the entire worldview of the way that we were able to approach reality. Now we had slayed God in that approach to reality and we had replaced it with this scientificism, which is great. You know, we got tons of shit from that mode of thinking but, as he also says, I think it's in the gay science one twenty six where where he references the death of god he He also points out that like the this has unchained us to the horizon that like now we go into the sort of physics and mathematical view of the world where the earth is no longer the center of the universe, and you know everything changes according to that that mathematical and physics sort of view- world view, which then you know initiating from where Nietzsche was when he, he wrote that, you know, we went through several imperialist wars and then to the, you know, the actual great war that then led into World War II. And all of this was part of a catastrophe of both this death of God, but taking science as this thing that could do, you know, horrific crimes against humanity on untold scales, never before seen or experienced before. Uh, And now like, we're 70 years past that, we're like, we've fully taken on this nihilistic viewpoint of all the things that you've talked about. Uh, And I think it's really funny because like we're obviously like fucking miserable, like like so, so utterly miserable, Um, including even like in the most selfish, deepest acts of like, you know, I got like three hookers and a shitload of blow and I'm just like drugged out of my fucking mind and like this is just like so far away from the transcendental experience of like the love of god yet like this is sort of the panic that we have towards all that shit um and i think it's really unique and interesting because like this is the conclusion that we get from a nihilistic viewpoint where the state has assumed for itself the right and rule to be a god uh it assumes the right and rule to have rights over people's bodies over their minds over the things that they say and it's really it's literally put itself in place of a god and there's a whole bunch of people out in the world who regard it as such you know like that that's why it's okay for the united states to blow up 30 children at a wedding party you know like no big deal they're god they can do that there's you know um and i think that you know while i think a lot of the world has swallowed that i think uh there's this whole other portion that can't even take it you know like it's such a cruel and despicable and deplorable world that you know uh i think it was this last year that like the between the 18 and 50 crowd the only thing that uh killed more people than self-suicide in 2021 was drug overdose you know like it's extraordinary to think of the the amount of true suffering and deep suffering and unspeakable suffering that's happening because of this lack um and with that being said it's also extraordinary that like in the depth of all of this and in the the darkness and the evil that like out of the darkness this ray of light shines that like somehow satoshi nakamoto like had this immaculate conception of like what is bitcoin he was able to deploy it get it out to people get the network going have it not get destroyed uh to like to to me that is a literal miracle that he was able to do that in this day and age in the way and and, because like think of all of the things that could have gone wrong all the places that he could have fucked up his, his forward secrecy that that uh, Hal could have not participated, none of the cypunks could have got it, that there could have been a 51% attack that destroyed the network, that three-lettered agencies could have discovered this early on and did that. All this shit, and somehow it didn't happen. Um, you know, and then, and then there's people that are like, well, Satoshi could be one of these three-lettered agencies, and sure, but even if he is, we still have all of the first principled shit that we can build out from, and, and to me, like, that's what's so important is that this was about allowing a form of thought entering into the world that was created from first principles that actually proves that like man is a decent person and that using asymmetric cryptography in order to interact with this metaphysical other helps to open an entirely new world because we're able to ask, what does it mean that my being in this world where evil seems to reign supreme and that nihilism uh, of this kind that, that it can't seem like there can be a God with this sort of horrific shit going on, that within all of this, we can be delivered this new mode to store our wealth outside and beyond these powers of evil and wrath. To me, that's messianic. It, mm-hmm. the, the fact that even if the state chooses to destroy me, you know, like they, they can't have my wealth. And that is so fundamentally different. And particularly when we look at the fact that we exist in an advanced, globalized, technological capitalist world, the fact that in the depth of that, I can now extricate my wealth, uh, it's, it's just, it's so perfect, you know? And like, I, I have to imagine that this is part of God's grand plan. Cause like, you know, if, if somehow we got something like a Bitcoin 500 years ago, like it doesn't really matter so much. Fiat money hasn't came to take over everything. Uh, there's still an ability to, to actually like push back against the state through the power of the purse, you know? And so it, it was only through extreme fiatism that Bitcoin would actually have its full capacity of power. And to me, like, that's so extraordinary. You know, like, I, I don't even think, I think even if we had somehow managed to stay on a gold standard all the way till now, Bitcoin would not be nearly as or powerful as it is today. And that's really important because uh, it, and then then the secondary irony of, of Bitcoin is that like from first principles, it has all of this cryptography, which is like the thing that allows for us to disable the panopticon in the most powerful way. So I think all of these things are really important from a first principled standpoint and this recovery from authoritarianism to truth.
0: Yeah. I want to come back to a lot of that, but I want to stay on the state and fear a little bit for a while. And keep in mind, we have unlimited time in this thing, so we can stay on any one of these things for (laughs) as long as we want. Um, But, you know, we we were talking about space exploration before we started, or maybe I'll include that in the beginning, but, you know, it, it, it all, among other things, and I, again, I'm not, like, against exploration. It may indeed be, like, an inevitable human impulse right to extend the domain of the known as it were but it is in a sense also trying to like get just get as far away from the self as possible right like you know as we're we're kind of talking about this ignoring the fundamental drivers that are fostering our perception and therefore the culture that we contend with and our political institutions and all that kind of stuff And it almost seems like the the ethos or the mantra of uh, modernity or technological materialistic innovation is just to keep complexifying and pushing outward, almost in order to avoid having to have the same sort of uh, robust effort directed inward, because it's far more frightening, the inward than the outward. And I do think that's... Part of the issue plaguing the world today, and you know, you you referenced how, you know, what Nietzsche said about uh, the death of God and like, and the Enlightenment, and there was all this good stuff out of it because, like, look at all this great innovation and blah 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 that came from it, but it came with a cost, right? But this is something I brought up in one of our previous discussions, but I don't think we've we've properly answered the question to what end? Why why is it good? That we have more creature comforts today that we live to be 80 instead of 60 or 50 that we can talk like this versus me and you gotta walk 100 miles to get together and have a picnic together why is that better you know because we have this the the de facto narrative is one of progress today especially amongst the the more rationalist materialist reductionist sort of group right said like the the human history is basically a linear line and it's bit a few up and downs right dark ages were a little bit of a stagnation but it's basically been from the bottom left to the upper right of progress and i'm not i'm not convinced that that's been the case um we we tend to highlight like we look at the ways in which law may have evolved we look at ways in which you know um well, obviously technology or architecture or systems of philosophy or religious thinking or or what have you. We we impose our narrative of progress onto those things and say, see, that's progress. These these are all the the the, the marking points of progress. But you know, to my mind, to sum it up perhaps over in an oversimplified way, it's like sure we can we can have a colony on Mars and we can have Netflix and iPhones and all the rest of it. But to your point about how unhappy people are today, and the the figures around suicide and drug overdoses and depression and all that kind of stuff. If our moment to moment experience of life is not better, and we will have to at some point define what that is, or at least attempt to, then how can we claim any kind of progress? Why is it de facto better that i have 20 more years to live if my moment-to-moment experience of life is worse not better you know and so i'm interested in exploring this aspect of of things with you and before i share any more of my thoughts i would want to hear your kind of immediate reaction to that
1: yeah i mean like to 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 me, this is also why it's metaphysical and why it seems to have uh, such dynamic and immediate tensions, uh, like essentially with truth about who we are and what we are, is that like all of this idea of progress, uh, it reminds me of uh, Walter Benjamin in his theses on history, which was the last thing that, that he wrote before he committed suicide because the Nazis had caught him. Well, he, he has in that this idea of, he has a painting from Paul Clean called Angel Nouvellas, and it's a, it's very interesting because it's this uh, piece of modern art and the angel is moving away from something. And in the essay, Walter Benjamin says that this angel, his wings are caught in a gale of progress that makes it so he can't close them and he's being blown through time. So the idea is, is that he's falling from heaven and the way that his wings are open, the wind is pushing him through history, so his back is moving away as he's falling from heaven, and that this is the idea of progress, you know, and and that's sort of what progress is, it's this catastrophe on top of catastrophe on top of catastrophe on top of catastrophe that we're told is quote-unquote progress, because, you know, we live a little longer, we have more shit, Um, but if you look at stuff uh, like statistics around suicide, since we started recording them in the 1890s, and up and to the right you know what does it mean and and to be clear that like suicide was considered such a sinful and horrific thing to do you know uh and it still is today but but you know when we came from a more religious society it it was much more rare to happen and i think that that's part of what modernity is about is that uh you know and like this is just pure propaganda if you tell people long enough that like what's going on is progress they believe it's progress you know like i i think that there's another ethical form where if you told people this they would smash all your shit and they would physically attack you and they would they'd say fuck you like you're clearly trying to manipulate me and lie to me and force me to accept that and that's part of the problem of where we're at today is like, we're so deep in the world of sycophantry and guile and my that like, it's just a natural part of what we do as people. And we don't want to hold people responsible. We don't want to have them, you know, like we, we all understand it. And to me, like, that's much more about a collapse of language than anything else. And that like, we can't manifest or actualize anything we want to say, even if we mean it. And that's one of the reasons why, again, Bitcoin is so powerful, because it is this actual institution of cryptography that forces us to maintain the you know, the commitments that we make, whether that's sending out a transaction or, or putting something in an OP return or whatever else. And it's extremely important to understand that now we have this relationship with technology. That we can actually enter into that relationship freely in a way that's never been possible before in all of human history, because this is really just about a protocol of liturgy towards our own wealth, uh, you know. And 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 we had to make this liturgy. You know, Satoshi made it for us, and we can all verify it for ourselves, but the absolute demand of this liturgy was necessary because there's no other way to get back to truth and to have that kind of accountability towards it. Um, you know, and I, and so like, I, and I also want to emphasize, like, I don't, I very, very, and this is why I think we can recover all of this too, is that like, I very sincerely don't believe there's like evil dudes out there being like, ha ha, like, I'm going to get more money from all. No, it's just like fucking lobotomized, you know? Like, it's all these shithead VCs on Twitter who are like, we're doing the revolution with NFTs and look, you can own it. And like, they, they sincerely believe that. They think it's super great that you can like own an NFT and this is going to change the world, but it's just the same lobotomized bullshit of that. uh, They're so deep into the mess that they're in. They can't realize that this is all just fucking nonsense versus what's really going on. Mm.
0: Yeah. So what, you know one of the things that i feel you know especially today a lot of people remark that you know history doesn't repeat but it rhymes and it, it seems like we're we always repeat the same mistakes of history right and all it takes is a slight change in circumstance for us to assume that it's different this time and i think the that illusion of progress is part of the reason why we continue to make that mistake because we say to ourselves no we're 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 better now we're not as stupid and dumb as we were back then those stupid dumb people who fill in the blank did believed whatever they believed in religion they only used stone tools they didn't you know they didn't have kale shakes or whatever the fuck right like that illusion of chronological progress increases the propensity for us to fall to hubris in our assessment of the past and our propensity to engage in the same mistakes that that we had done in the past. And I mean, it boggles the mind today to see there's not even that many differences. I mean, a lot of the behaviors, a lot of the rhetoric are identical to mistakes that we've made not even a hundred years ago. And they're being made again in very rapid succession with very little pushback from the majority of people. And so again, like before we really dig into the meat of bitcoin's role in all this like i i want to hang out and really discuss underlying and and like explore underlying motivations so for example like back to that point about what what is progress what is worthwhile what makes something worthwhile how do we judge something as being you know progress and um, like that's a real tricky question and i brought up this example on one of our calls also before but i'm you know i'm I think we both share an interest in like ancient civilizations and all that jazz. And, you yeah. know, one that seems particularly uh, paradisal to me, and of course, I know it wasn't, but like just if you look at uh, art and architecture and whatever we can derive from from our investigation of history, like the Minoan culture seemed pretty sweet, right? It seemed like it was not a very uh, warfaring or war-oriented culture. They lived on an island, of course, 2000 BC lots of trade that seemed to be maybe what fostered peace everyone looked really healthy wore cool clothes had lots of amazing food like uh it looked like a pretty you know badass culture and on what basis do we just de facto assume today that we are more advanced in any other way than our technological implements right are we seriously like are do if we it, remove, if we remove, it's a culture nef-
1: that's based upon fear, right? That's so, my answer. It, it's a, it's absolutely a culture based on fear. Today, you mean? Yeah, and 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 because of that culture of fear, we look at the Minoans. We go, oh God, like they could get diseases, they could get sick, or they're going to die before they're two hundred and thirty-eight years old. Like oh, right. and like it, and so like a large part of our society is based upon, frankly, callousness you know i'm like and and it has to be because there's been this total closure of the world where you know we now live inside of of you know the uh cultivated garden the box that they have for us you can't wander off the trails because everything is so fear-based that we need to make sure that that we're quote unquote safe and to us this quote unquote being safe is what progress is and not to say that that it's you know, and it's this lobotomized idea because it, you know, if you talk to, you know, go back to these Minoan ideas and you go, hey, if you, you go into war and you lead your people and right as the war gets started, you're stabbed in the head and gone. Like, what do you people think of that? They'd be like, oh, fucking glory. You know, <laughs> like I, I led my people. I like went to war and like, then I, you know, went off to the Minoan version of Valhalla. I'm like, fucking it, you know, and like that when you talk to people about that today well two things one is is that uh like modern war isn't war at all like it's just uh it's like hyper killing and i think it's fucking hilarious when people like i'm a soldier and i'm super brave because like i shoot somebody from 500 yards away with my rifle like fuck you you're not brave at all you're actually a huge pussy like being brave is like going up in front of the guy that you need to kill and like locking eyes with him and like ramming your sword through him and like watching his life leave him because like that's what all of our ancestors did and they honored each other with that form of war and i think also if you're like hey check it out like here's your high-powered rifle that you can use to assassinate this guy from you know two clicks away they'd kind of be like "Mm, this doesn't seem to be a very honorable (laughs) tool Mm -hmm. um you know, and, and this is part of it because this idea of progress has disposed of everything else because it's just progress in terms of this idea uh, of like a classic liberal sense. And, and I want to be very clear when I use that. It's not a right-left liberalism, but it's the classic liberalism that manifested the nation-state as we know it and a lot of Western culture. And specifically, our culture shifted with this death of God of where it no longer wanted to be about achieving these high ideals through art and the Renaissance and all these other things, but it collapsed into itself because it became about the modernity of the state, how the state can become this welfare device, how it can provide health for us. Uh, And that's very troubling because that shift of the state becoming God also became the shift that the state has responsibility for your body, for your health, for this idea of progress and what it demands as progress. Uh, And I would point out that, like, progress has happened absolutely from the the perspective of the state. It's gathered, you know, it's infinitely more powerful than I think anybody in the 1800s could have ever imagined the state would be. Uh, And to it, it's progress. It sees more. It knows more. It, quote unquote, understands more. You know, and it's about all this gathering of data. And I think to me, uh, that's one of the great errors that has been presented is that uh, through the quote-unquote dataization of what's occurred that like we can be like oh look like less children are dying in the 20th century than the 18th century so we must be better well it's interesting because like my you know my response to that is like okay so you know before 1800 about i think it was like one in, in i think it was actually like one in four children died before the age of five like that that's horrific and it's wrong and it's terrible and we have to do everything to prevent that right well what i'd counter is is that because going through this experience of, you know, likely if you have a child, there's a high probability that they could die. If you have a child that dies, you're probably going to have a lot higher value towards the life of children when you encounter it. It's probably also going to emotionally affect you to be different, to think about those children differently. It's it's also going to have you approach life in a totally different way, knowing that your child could die pretty readily or quickly. And same thing goes with all the other health ailments, you know, and this kind of brings us back to the beginning of all the stuff that we were talking about of uh, we have this very inauthentic relationship towards death where we don't think about it, we don't consider it, we don't allow for it to be part of our society. And that inauthenticity has permeated everything. And that's why fear is such a fundamental component of this society is because it absolutely demands and needs to have fear as a predication because If we authentically deal with the idea of death, that means we have to authentically go through the angst that occurs with it and to try finding meaning in our life now, currently today with the knowledge that we will die. And to me, everything in modernity is about preventing those thoughts from happening. It's about trying to make it easier, more comfortable to try to avoid it. And I think what's so interesting for myself from a personal standpoint is, watching people that are very old going through the the process of death as i understand it uh and feeling that it's really unfortunate how many people that uh as i watch them go through these stages of death it's not this courageous meeting of death it's this struggle to cling to life to so much so that you know like um You know, I I think about my own grandfather who who I loved dearly and thought was an extraordinary man, but because of the way he clung to death too, because of the way that this culture made it, you know, he was a shell of himself by the time he was done, you know, and I I think that there are many ancient cultures that I think if they saw that idea as opposed to greeting death, that like, they would find that something very specifically horrific and disgusting, you know, like they would almost see it as uh, some strange bridge between not being quite alive, but not being quite dead. Uh, And I think that that's really important because by not authentically dealing with death in a meaningful way, we've produced an entire society of inauthenticity that is based around fear. And because it's based around fear, it goes to authoritarianism because it can't have any self-conviction of the self. Because if there was self-conviction of the self, you've dealt with the fact that you're going to die and you can be authentic towards it and that you can move through the world in that way.
0: A lot there. Um, You know, one of the things that's interesting, just on that point before I go back to a few others, is I think that's why so many of the, at least mystical components of a lot of historical religions or mystery schools or however you wanna characterize them, head as one of their, one of the most sacred rites was something that helped you die before you die, as it's called, right? So help, helped you contextualize your mortality uh, better so that you can bring more life into your experience of now and not have it be diluted or, or deprecated in some way by your fear of the inevitable of your inevitable non-existence something like that and that's why this that's why it was so critical because if you are going to lead a, a full life and gain access to the good that life holds that we're able to experience as as human beings and, and conscious conscious human beings then you have to contend with that aspect of of the inevitable trajectory of your life and i agree that i think in culture today we've neglected it so much to our detriment and that is partially why there's so much motivation to fill life up now with things and to avoid as much as possible that inevitable event on the horizon which is our extinct you know our individual extinction you know dying you know so we we hold on to every last breath and they jack us up all full of tubes for 5 years just to just so we can you know live one more day and for what right for 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 no real reason. And I think part of the reason why, I think part, one of the results of this uh, adherence to, the primary adherence to this progress narrative is science, and I don't just mean like medical science, but science in, in all its forms, being seen as the highest good, being seen as the most worthwhile pursuit, being seen as the highest authority, and all of that, I think, leads to perhaps a, a, a consciousness that's more distracted, but not one that is more grounded in the perception that's going to elicit a joyous experience of being. And so off the back of that, I want to go back to the, the Minoan example, because I'd really love to get your thoughts on this. I mean, if we look at these two civilizations, I'm really curious to know like, or it, I, it's still something that I am exploring and working out in my own mind, but what is it that distinguishes uh, the two in terms of quality, let's say? So in in is there any, let me see if I can find the right words for this, but what would you think is the qualitative difference, I guess, between if you were a person existing in that civilization <clears throat> four thousand some odd years ago, or one in this one today, you know, and because and the reason why I ask that question is because if this notion of of progress is uh, debunked in a sense, then I think that then the door is open for us to investigate and explore a redefinition of progress and to explore what if any progress we're achieving and i i do want to move on to that next and i have i have thoughts but if we're kind of pulling this thread of like who cares if we have iPhones and and 20 years on our lifespan on average let's say if that life is more miserable if as you said before there's less honor there's less joy there's less love there's less meaning less meaning what who, then it's not progress at all where that's a misuse of the term it would be a regression of some kind at least in my mind it would be because we'd be optimizing for the attributes or metrics that don't actually improve one's quality of life one's one's existence one's experience of consciousness so i'm intru- like what do you think in terms of qualitative differences between then and now
1: Uh, great question. I think, I think the primary one is going to be uh, the richness of, of life that is taken upon when risk is inherently baked in to a life being lived. Um, and I think that this is very important because, you know, in the Minoan culture, like, you know, you, you go out, you get malaria or something like now you're dead. Like that that's just how it is. And I think that because of the the fundamental risk that's at play, that there's a, a totally different form of life that's had that, that we're completely blinded to. And I think uh, it, it's so hard to try to address this progress point when we're so embedded into it because like we don't, and this is part of the problem of language today too, is that like we're, we're so, so, so deep into it that there's almost no way to try to extricate having a different perspective. And I guess to serve one of the examples is in modernity like we can we can data all of this in such a way that we can go look like you're, you're hitting every single point where like you're supposed to like be happy that you're supposed to have progress. Well, like this is such an amorphous thing and a great example is, uh, you know, like I'm trying to think like the, the founder of Zappos, you know, like he, he was a rich guy had big community around him, lots of people. like, Like he lost his fucking mind and like burned himself, you know, burned himself alive in his house, you know, and like, uh, there's so much suffering that's going on that like, we can't grapple to with this data stuff that like, we don't include it or think about it because we can't grapple on to it or consider it, you know, and like misery is such a great idea. Like, how, how do you qualify what is misery? Like we can get all of the shit around it, but like I'm talking about the actual subjective experience of, of being miserable. And I think because in modernity, we don't like have these data models to grapple onto that. That's one of the ways that we can sort of dispose of it with this idea of progress. And furthermore, I think that, you know, to me, this is a part of the idea of like, what is your soul and what does it mean to you? And to most people, that's sort of this laughable thing because they live in the nihilistic world. And so I think in order to be able to try to debunk this idea of progress, we first have to debunk this idea that like, there is no higher power, because I think like, if you can get through to that point, you know, and and when I say higher power, I don't even mean God, like, I just mean that, like, there is something that is beyond the state and is more powerful. And there's something that's non sensual about this place, not... Everything isn't as it meets its eye, and it isn't all materialistic. You can do with yourself whatever else you want with that, but until we dispel of the notion that the world is only material shit, I don't think we can ever address this this issue of progress. Because at the end of the day, like that's what's happening, and that's why people are so fucking miserable is because like our souls are suffering. We're not connecting to each other. We're not loving in. The way of a gapa we're not creating community we're not uh and more importantly we're not able to take on a fundamentally different form of risk because of the kind of thought that we have you know like uh i think probably the best example is the term risk we'll talk about in financial profiles that's not an actual risk that's something like risk is you incurring bodily harm that could destroy your existence in this world and so I think uh, these obfuscations of the idea of like what risk is exactly and how we deal with it is also part of this callous and fearful mindset of we always need to be trying to acquire safety to try to get everything in a place where it's standing reserved for us if we need to try to grapple onto it and use it. And all of this has transformed the world in uh, a really fucked up way. Uh, and with that being said, like as dark as all this shit gets, like the other part can't ever be extinguished. It's just fundamentally impossible because like that's that's the true essence of humans in the pursuit of trying to discover what is truth, what is the meaning to our life here? What does progress mean? And I think uh, particularly when we also divide the idea of progress of the whole of society from progress for myself. And I realized that, that like, those have absolutely no relationship whatsoever to each other with the exception of how it can flow out from me. But I, I, I can't get it from society. It has to be something that's discovered from within me. And with that discovery, because of how it empowers me, it can flow out from me. But the stuff flowing into me from this society and these ideals of progress, it can't, it, it can't create a positive flow
0: that's what i'm getting at here is what is is trying to define or discern or elucidate or gain clarity around what is progress because if we don't have that then we're flying blind like what are we orienting ourselves to if not progress and of course as you just said like there's the individual domain and then perhaps there's a collective domain and i i I think there is a relationship between the two, although we can explore that in in a couple minutes. But um, and I think this goes back to that point of why did you know the? And this is another thing that really annoys me about our current time. But you know, we have all of these ancient uh, traditions, and there's a lot of wisdom and insight, hard fought, uh, that comes from. Our investigation of our ancient cultures and traditions and they're done away with so willy-nilly just by virtue of the fact that they came before our current elevated you know uh more more along the chronological progress timeline of today right so i think a, a lot of our predecessors were you know, like, yeah, sure, they, they lived in marble houses instead of wood and fucking uh, asbestos. Okay, you know, does, like, does that make them any less capable of, of inquiring into the nature of being, into the nature of value, into orienting oneself uh, uh, in alignment with what might be most worthwhile? I don't think it does. And I, I think it's amazing. You know, this is another thing that I, like, not only did they pursue those questions, you know, basically what is the meaning of life? What, what does, what does progress look like? And as we said before, one of the ways that they, they engaged that was you have to die before you die in order to kind of relinquish the, the material primacy, the primacy of material versus the primacy of something immaterial and dying before you die and having that experience of, of perhaps ego death is one of the ways to do that. But, you know, they, they, it's not just like I look at something like Eleusis, right? I, I presume you're familiar with the, the Eleusinian Mysteries, and yeah, yeah. As like it, it seems like these were ongoing mysteries even prior to the ancient Greek world, and then they, they were integrated into the ancient ancient Greek world and survived there for, you know, thousands of years, and then perhaps after the fall of uh, the ancient Greek world, they disseminated throughout different pockets throughout the Mediterranean and and, and further afield. And in other regions of the world and in other ancient cultures, there's similar institutions that were erected. And to me, it's mind-blowing, whether we're talking about, you know, the Eleusinian Mysteries or whether we're looking at, you know, ancient Indus Valley civilizations like, you know, Harappa and Mohenjo-Daro. And you look at what constituted the bulk of the writing and the iconography and the the art of, of these periods and it was like such a devotion to those inquiries and to the insights and wisdom that were derived from them and to holding them up as the utmost important experiences or practices or systems of the culture and like to me it's so amazing because we like we d- we have so little of that reverence in <sighs> our world today and it, it's amazing to me that and like you and I might be able to say, yeah, of course, like those experiences are are really important. But even for someone like myself, I'm like, I'm, I try to empathize with being a member of a civilization for whom that was always front and center. It's like there were other pursuits, of course, there's, you know, daily life and architecture and trade and all this kind of stuff. But the front and center thing that you would see in the on, in the temple walls and in the only available texts and in the you know, that the core of the civilization of which you were a part were these pursuits. And it's it's almost amazing to me, given my assessment of human beings in the world today, that we did such a, you know, fallible as we were and ups and downs as we had, that we managed to maintain the elevation of these inquiries for so long in so many regions in such a way, because we seem to today have dismissed them so uh, thoughtlessly. Because again, I think those pursuits, ultimately you boil it down and they are trying to answer the question, what is progress? I.e., what should I be striving most for? What is the most worthwhile thing to strive for, to orient myself, my, my life around? What's the most worthwhile pursuit? That's what these are you know these practices are basically, and, and these systems are trying to answer, and you know we can uh, we can definitely delve into what some of those answers were in different places in the world, but I, my you know I one, I think that's amazing that, that that it was so uh preserved in its proper elevation, in my opinion, for so long. but uh i still I still wonder. What the answer, like, let me phrase it this way. Are we any more ad- advanced if we're going with this kind of definition perspective of progress today than we were if we were just two dudes hanging out, eating figs on the corner, you know, on the beach in Minoan era Crete? Are, are we by any any valid measure more quote unquote advanced or have we achieved any progress whatsoever from that time?
1: Uh, so, so my my direct answer is no. Actually, it's the exact <laughs> opposite. Like we we, it's not progress that we've had. Like it, like, like human progress is fundamentally and distinctly different from technological progress. And like that's one of the key problems. So when we talk about we're in a progressive society, yeah, with technology, not for fucking humans at all. And I mean, like, objectively speaking, I can go, check it out. The technology we have, not only is it bad for us as people, like it's killing us, it's enslaving us, it's destroying the world, and it's opening up the existential threat to not only all of humanity, but all of biological life itself. Like that is absolutely fucking bonkers. You know, like I talked to our fig eating friends 4,000 years ago and tell them that they go, whoa, dude, like who knows how any of that crazy shit could happen, but like the idea that people could blow up the entire world itself, like, get out of here, you know? And like, it's really important to get that because that sort of infection of our mind has bled into us, you know? We've been taught that like, this is what progress is when it's anything but. Uh, And I think that the most ironic thing is, is, is anybody you talk to about this, if you could try to get them to move away from the mind and just talk about the actual feelings and experiences of their body towards thinking about that. I, I think almost anyone would acknowledge that uh, this isn't like a fun, happy world of greatness and play and, and wonderful progress. I, I I feel like there's a, a real truth that we know inside of our bodies and as our experience in this world that there's something deeply, deeply, deeply wrong, um, you know? And, and so like, I think this this false notion of progress, we fooled ourselves that because we can get these data sets that we can say, well, we got some more shit that we truly believe that we are better. Uh, but I, I, I think the sincere experience of, of people's bodies and who they are, like mo- there's a handful of people that I could say, oh, like that person is truly, Happy and uh, you know, like they've had personal progress for themselves in folds and magnitudes, the only people I know about that do this are people that are super focused on their own spiritual development they like meditate hours every day and like this is a big part of their commitment of being in the world and I don't think it's a of, of any you know, it, it seems to be directly because they are focused on their spirituality and Developing that for themselves individually and finding others to help them with that. And that's not, you know, encouraged or cultivated anywhere in our society. And frankly, it's almost laughed at, you know. And, and this this goes back to the other conclusion of that, you know, like uh I, I got this from Leo Strauss. Like, we're we're not even in Plato's cave anymore. Like, we're in a cave, like underneath Plato's cave. Like that's how fucked up everything is it's like we can't even get to a place to see the shadows because we're underneath the cave that's how fucked it is um and i think it's it, it's really really important for people to meditate on this because for all of human history you know and and i guess i guess the to address your idea of that like i don't think these values were held high for that long i actually think that's that is what was absolutely and completely normal and that's part of a uh, being truly present If you're truly present, you realize you're alive and that you're here and that this is a meaningful experience that you need to concentrate on and try to understand and explore. And like, that's not found anywhere in this society unless you go and actively seek it out. Uh, And so I think it's really, really important to realize that like we inherited a society. And again, getting back to Nietzsche and the death of God that's the the dividing line where we came from god is dead people don't think about or are concerned with this anymore let's move forward with technological progress in place of personal and spiritual progress which has inverted all these functions so like yeah sure we have material progress abound and that has came at the direct personal spiritual suffering of each and every one of us to have to go through this world as it is
0: yeah th- this is somewhat reminds me of the the Gnostic and I guess most uh, in my mind represented in the Cathar, uh, you know, sort of philosophy of condemning, you know, the material world, right? Rather than holding it up as perhaps we do today, but condemning it. And and I'm not um, promoting that view per se right now, but just to say like, I think part of the motivation behind that type of philosophy was was recognizing the primacy of the internal world and deriving peace and joy from the landscapes uh, and the wellspring perhaps of meaning in there and making the material world subservient to it, but also perhaps why they condemned it is recognizing the uh, tendency to attempt to manipulate the material world as we do at, you know, we, t- we try to meet our needs, we try to make our lives more comfortable, more convenient, we try to expand our domain of control, we try to make things more convenient, we try to give ourselves more time, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But the propensity for that process playing out to uh, ascend to the top of, you know, a type of value hierarchy or a meaning hierarchy, and therefore the latter, the internal, where perhaps we might agree where it's genuinely to be found becoming subservient to those material technological pursuits and that inevitably leading to bad outcomes and why it may for them have constituted basically the basis for their faith because they saw it as being such a important dichotomy or, or pitfall to avoid. And, you know, that's an interesting take on things, and it's worth noting that they were all massacred in the Albigensian crusade um, that uh, I, I believe it was Pope Albigensian, uh, someone will have to fact check me on that, but, you know, sent out, the, sent out the boys to clean them all up, right, because they weren't thinking in line with the, the dominant orthodoxy at the time. But, um, but it, it does bring to light in my mind this question of, okay, if we kind of agree, for lack of a better term, that true meaning and true progress is to be sought and derived from within, and we'll just shelve for a moment the the notion that we exist in relationship to our environments and culture, and so there is, in my opinion, a, a, a feedback loop there that has to be mediated in order to foster whatever internal state we're looking for, but let's just shelve that for a moment and say that we have this we, we agree that that's where the nexus of ultimate value, let's say, is, and meaning is, and therefore should be our, the domain of our primary concern. But we also have this proclivity or tendency or impulse, perhaps unavoidable, to manipulate the outer world to conform to certain elements of ourselves. And it would seem that we try to manipulate the material world to conform to the areas where we're deficient because otherwise, why would we do it, right? So we, we say, I don't like sleeping in the rain, or I don't, you know, so I'm going to build a hut, or, you know, I get sweaty all the time, so I'm going to build air conditioners, right? And so all those things that have their genesis internally, we then take the material world and we try to make ourselves less deficient vis-a-vis those uh, discomforts, let's say, and then, therefore we construct a world that is primarily based on what were once at least deficiencies. And then we inevitably just keep doing that to continue shoring up, addressing, or even discovering new deficiencies that our material, that our manipulation of the material world can alleviate. And so then we, perhaps as a result of that, we construct a material world that is primarily uh, a, a manifestation or even a reflection of our deficiencies rather than you know, are the opposite of our deficiencies, right? The things that are uh, that, for lack of a better term, we know and love about ourselves or that we have under our own control and dominion and we're at peace with, for example. And so that makes me think like, well, why is it that we have this impulse to manipulate that world? Let's say that maybe that's one of the pitfalls, but does that mean that it's, in, we should, it's condemned entirely as in perhaps the case of the Cathars. Well, it's, from the, the perspective of the modern world, it's really hard to say that, right? And pr- maybe that's only because we're so attached to all the creature comforts of the modern world. I love air conditioning. I love Netflix. I love iPhones. It's all awesome. But as we've been exploring, are those the metrics by which to assess worthwhileness of quality, of value, of, of progress? And if the answer is no, well, then what, should the proper relationship to technology i.e our manipulation of the material world be and to me there seems to be a potential answer to that question and this is my long-winded way of posing it to you maybe it's the case you know as we're evolving you know we're apes then we're neanderthals and there's a, a notion of participation mystique which basically uh is describing the tendency or the the circumstance of early humans to basically have less of an individual identity and therefore be more identified with the group, as in pack animals, for example. And as our consciousness develops, it individuates further. And as culture becomes more complex, it allows for more individuation of consciousness because it allows for more things to ascribe and associate, a a more complex array of things to ascribe and associate with your consciousness, i.e. allowing you to become more individuated. And so, and we, you know, another side note on that is like, well, are the things that you associate with your personality really you, or is there, or is there something behind all those things that is quote unquote, really you, but we'll leave that one for now. Right. So what's the, is it the case that we're increasingly becoming individuated as a result of technology. And that's why the process, even though it can lead us astray, but that's why the impulse for that, the curiosity and the desire to manipulate the material world is almost seemingly inevitable because it does lead to further individuation. And in my mind, again, with many pitfalls, maybe that's necessary for the further experience of liberation. And as I touched on very briefly in the, the piece I recently published, perhaps liberation is one of the primary uh, values. The experience of liberation may be one of, you know, if we're looking for an idea of progress, and let's say on an individual basis, maybe the experience of true liberation, liberation from your thoughts, liberation from, from your fears, liberation from your attachments is one of the highest ideals and it seems somewhat circular here because you could say well wouldn't you almost have it by default as a result of that participation mystique because you're not being drawn away or to or reliant upon all those material creature comforts and the answer is probably yes there but you're still too much bound up with the group and so maybe our impulse for the for technology and technological advancement is to individuate ourselves more and more and more over time such that we are more able to uh, pursue liberation, which paradoxically unifies us back with the whole, if you believe in a kind of, you know, unified uh, if you believe in the kind of a philosophy that ultimately everything is, is unified in some capacity. So Yeah thoughts?
1: I. So I, I think this is a, a, a place that there's a, a very interesting and unique division is that I, I think this individuation through technology, um, I think that progress was once true up until we started to get into the digital era and that all of this technology then became uh, very much sort of this, I don't know how you describe it, it's kind of the, the this panoptic communistic thing that wants to to actually like homogenize all people make them all the same and put them all together in the same way but what's deeply ironic about it is that like with the actual achievements of cryptography and like the finality of what the web is it it actually allows for this like total recovery of of like the full individual like through uh, like cryptography and anonymity. Like now, there, now there's this ability to, to be a total individual in a way that like nobody can touch or know or understand it all. Um, and I, to me like this is what's so metaphysical about all this is that there's these extremely deep tensions and in interplay. And this is one of them of that like through technology, uh, we're clearly like achieving these like huge and monumental changes that like allow for us to be so much more powerful. But at the same time, it's very much capturing us and making us reliant upon us and having us be weaker. Um, so much so that, like, now being produced in society today, like, we are these sort of vacant bodies where, like, we're taught that we are useless and that, you know, like, we can't do any of these things on our own. And I think it's so interesting because, uh, you know, like, the, these other societies that existed long before progress, you know, like, hey, I want to hut because I don't want to live in the rain. There are probably people like, well, you know, like we're going to sleep in the rain because like it makes us stronger, or more powerful or more connected to the nature or whatever else. And this is part of the viewpoint of modernity is that uh, this idea of like being comfortable is progress itself when it doesn't also acknowledge that the creation of those comforts cuts off other things, you know. Um, and I guess like, Another example would be you know, like the this way that we're so pedantic about trying to you know add more years to our life, and that like that's this ultimate quest. and like we can do that with technology and by bonding to it. But the truth is is that that's that's removing something from us and ourselves and our relationship to ourselves. Uh, and so I think like this dynamicism of technology at the bottom is really interesting because I think uh, it sort of extends this promise to us of like, hey, we can make things easier. You can progress more with us. But as we enter into relationship with us, it sort of breaks us down and makes us weaker and more reliant upon it. Um, and like that could go totally into like a slavery kind of territory. However, because of the way that the interweb is manifesting both cryptography and pseudo anonymity and, uh, you know, total anonymity, that there's, I don't know what you call it, but almost this like dividing function of where we get like the most radical form of individual and we get the most radical form of like communalism. you know. And like, to me, like this manifests itself in Bitcoin with Satoshi Nakamoto. Like Satoshi is this like anonymous person who like nobody knows and hopefully nobody ever will know. And like, I'm in a free relationship with him vis-a-vis cryptography because of how we interact with each other. And to me like that's um, like this is this Heideggerian idea of like the first truly free relationship with technology that we've ever created. And it also happens that like it is messianic because it is the first truly free relationship with technology that we have. And so like it, it reunifies these two divisions that have been happening with technology um for a very long time in my opinion
0: yeah that's a very interesting point so i want to comment two things one is perhaps evolution of consciousness is a better stand in for individuation you know if you if you think about yes. um you know you're if you, you can go back to cave paintings 40,000 years ago or you can go back to like the earliest um, what are they called like icons or dolls or uh, manic uh, statues of various kinds that that were made right and because so little articulation was available to them, you know articulation of many kinds, words concepts forms uh their representation of the the emergence of those uh ideas in, or images in their mind took a very to us now rudimentary form right and this is part of the process of culture which is why i say there's it's a it's, it's a relationship and a feedback loop because as culture complexifies we're more able to express the contents that are bubbling up in our our consciousness and so you know if you go back two hundred thousand years ago there's you know basically no representation there's very basic rudimentary uh, beginnings of tools and that kind of thing. And as culture develops, we develop in tandem with it. And we end up using the languages and the images and the skills and the knowledge and all that kind of stuff to continue to investigate or mine the you know, ourselves, right? And we kind of, ex, you know, culture is both an externalization of ourselves and a means by which we can continue to do that, which, you know, side note is why it's so important that it's predicated on the right principles and systems, which right now it's really fucking not. And there, you know, there you go. We we have a, a culture that's not so not such a good feedback partner. Um, But I, I think what you said there was was really important. So there's there's always this technology maybe just raises the stakes. It doesn't fundamentally change the game, right? So there's always like, yeah, yeah, you can, it's either going to be used to enslave you or to free you. Doesn't matter if we're talking about the first, you know, hand painting or drawing or, or the first coherent phrase that was used or the first hand signals to to uh, use or whatever. Like there's always going to be good and bad. And it it may be the case that if we accept that, technology is going to both reflect and help us to uh, make material what's happening inside of us. You know, we, we've been talking about these somewhat esoteric concepts around spirituality, which I know, you know, we're both interested in. Right. And we, we have uh, we pursue them and we have our own practices and that kind of stuff. But it's like maybe the, the purpose of technology is to help us to externalize that state. But you, the, the ability to do that doesn't come without the pitfall of being able to externalize, you know, let, let, let's bring it way back to the beginning. Technology will allow us to make material, to, to transform our, our material bodies and reality and not just the inner landscape into fear, for, for, to use an all-encompassing term, or into love right? If we're going to use that as the kind of polarity or the dichotomy between the two essences, as it were, two, en- two foundational energies, let's say, and they may not be, but just for the sake of this discussion. And so may, it, you know, is our impulse for technology to continually strive toward finding ways to make our exterior experience reflect our interior experience and reflect the better elements of the best elements of our interior experience. And can we define progress as the successful, the, the accomplishment of that, of turning the best within us into the material world, you know, kind of somewhat of the idea of the, the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth, right? Is that part of the one of the points of technology? And the reason why I particularly bring this up with you is because you focused on in your work, you know, one of the qualities that makes Bitcoin messianic and why it's so much, it has such a, uh, an ontological power is because of the, impli- like, because of the answer to the question, why is cryptography even possible, basically? What does it say about reality? that this type of cryptography is possible in that it is a tool to preserve the sovereignty of an, in, of an individual or of information more than it is a tool to uh, squelch that for lack of a better term. And so is, is yeah, I'll give you a chance to respond to that for sure, but the, so I guess what, you know my direct question is, is it possible that the impulse to, for technology for a pursuit of technology and the material manipulation required for that while rife with downsides and pitfalls and being led astray in that domain is it to try to make the outer world reflect the inner world as much as possible and is that a, a worthwhile pursuit
1: um lot there i know i like I, i i think that's like the the initiating point of that you know like the that essentially the purpose of technology is to to transform uh ends that we desire into means that we have in order to do that um and i think that like for all of human history like from the initiation of that position it almost always goes awry uh, which, like, pretty much leads out to, like, most of humanity. But there's these interesting, like, recoveries where we, like, come all the way back around and we're, like, able to actually present something, like, new and substantial and profound. And that's, like, these level up like, in human consciousness that are really, really important, you know? And, like... Well, so
0: that's, that's kind of my the- point. So are, are you saying that those level-ups that are achieved through technology end up through a feedback process allowing our fostering the continued evolution of consciousness. I I guess that's kind of what I was getting at too. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, and and it's this like super sloppy, like fucked up process where like we almost have to make every single possible mistake beforehand until we can sort of recover it back. And once we do recover it back, like it's pretty badass, you know, because like we had somebody like Jesus who showed up and he was like, hey, check it out. Like, you don't have to like kill animals every single time you want something like I'm just going to die this one time and like that's fucking done. And to be clear, like that was a technological progress through this idea of spirituality that, you know, like was able to be displayed and same thing with, you know, like. When we got the printing press, it was like, "Hey, check it out! Like, you don't just need to like believe what the priest says because we can like print this shit out and you can like read it for yourself." And these are almost these like mistakes that like upgrade our consciousness that are like really really important. Um, And I think like that's also where we've came back. And just on your point about like what cryptography does. to be clear, like all of the abilities and capacities of Bitcoin cryptography and all of these things have always exist in the universe. They were just discovered later on once we had all these much more deep understandings of how mathematics and these things work. But to me, like this is one of the things that displays that uh, like God truly loves us. It's like why, like, why the fuck does math have this like ability you know, like this fundamental aspect of physics has this ability to like protect us in such a way and that we are able to discover it and deploy it and all these things. Um, And also that like it was developed like through the hyper war machine of the state and like it's prattling paranoia to like need to try to protect itself beyond all else that like it somehow delivers to us this piece of technology that can actually like, protect us in a way that no institution thing, government person has ever been able to do, except for God. You know, and, like That's part of what it is, is that it's bonding us back into his will in this really important way. And to be clear, it's his will not because like he was like, hey, check it out, I'm God, like willy-nilly, I want this thing to work. No, because like this is part of the entirety of how the universe has always operated at its base that like cryptography happens to have worked waiting for us to discover it, to rescue us from all of this fucked up nonsense. And to me, like it's so extraordinary that this is delivered through technology. And part of the reason why is because we're so, so deep into this technological progress. And I talk about this idea of a, a totalitarian panopticon that can capture all of humanity. And that's very much where we're at. And within all of this, Bitcoin was delivered to us, this understanding of cryptography and the potential to utilize this technology and these techniques to recover all of this shit and to actually have us enter into a totally different world where we can individually protect ourselves through cryptography and we can still have all of this crazy and cool stuff that's going on with the web. Um, And so I think like, technology is the way that we get to these higher and higher forms of consciousness, but it's almost always, I don't want to call it a mistake, but, but just like a glitch in some way. And, and, you know, to me, the quintessential example is with LSD being developed, you know, like this wasn't Albert Hoffman wasn't out to like find some thing to like help give people a different experience of the world. I think he was developing. uh, He was working for Bayer. He was. he Wasn't was trying- it for like hypertension or something like that? I I
0: I can't. I think so, something like that. But he was working for a big pharmaceutical company, right? Trying to make you know a product for hypertension or for ostensibly an illness of some kind, maybe even a modern illness,
1: you know. Well, he he you know he did discover something that helped with modern illness quite a bit, <laughs> uh, but. But to me, like, this is sort of like the slapstick way that, like, this whole world works. And it very much reminds me of Dante's Inferno. That, like, this is just this fucking comedy, you know? Like, and also, like, now we're, like, in the seventh layer of hell and everything's, like, horrific and terrible. And God's like, hey, check it out. There's, like, this trap door that I, like, put right here at the very bottom for you to, like, get back out to the top when you want to, Yeah, you know? Like, it, it's it's pretty profound that, like, he does that. And to me, like, this is part of how he loves us so profoundly is like he doesn't just want us to arrive in the world that's great like he wants us to go through all of these motions to discover why there is reason about the world you know in the same way that uh you know abraham had to to angst over the fact that god was asking him to do this thing that seemed unconceivable um and that's the human condition you know and uh for me personally like I, I don't know what I do without Bitcoin, and it's not because of the money, it's because of what it's activated inside of me. It's this ontological process that we start asking about value and you know progress and meaning, and these things reflect in and affect us, and then it happens to other people too, which is fucking awesome and amazing and so wonderful to be here and to share in these things.
0: yeah you know, and,
1: and also point out that these sharing in these progresses and these things, like it's uh it's entering into our relationship, uh, in my opinion, with infinity. And I say infinity because of the way that I get to become somebody that I didn't expect myself to be, that I couldn't have thought to be. And I think maybe likewise for you and many others. And that as we interact with it, it empowers and changes us in ways that were fundamentally inconceivable and impossible.
0: before. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And we will definitely crack into that, uh, further into this but you know your the the hoffman example is funny and you you know your comment on kind of god having a slapstick sort of humor you know it, it also makes me think that I, I can't remember where this quote is from but it's something to the effect like the truth is not long hidden because when you add when you when you mention the the lsd example i'm like the first thought is How many other things weren't by happenstance discovered that are just waiting there in the ether for us to stumble upon and fundamentally change the entire world, you know, and maybe there's a bunch or maybe, you know, because the truth is not long hidden, maybe that molecule and, you know, that experience had to emerge in the world by some order that we don't, we cannot comprehend And it just so happened, perhaps because of the the humor of how that force is, is, uh, you know, operates, it came through, you know, a a humble chemist in Switzerland doing work, you know, for a pharmaceutical company, and he just gets a little too close to it. And on his bike ride home, you know, a whole new domain of consciousness, or maybe not new, because of course, you know, there was psychedelic compounds uh, in use throughout the world. But you know what I'm saying? Like that that access point became available to the world because of that. And is that, is that happenstance and coincidence and you win some, you lose some, or is it the truth asserting itself in some, you know, slapstick or comedic sort of way. And the, the, the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, we talk about, you're talking about this process of technology and how, you know, it's, it's messy, basically. That's the, the, the basic point. Like we, Maybe we do inch forward to progress in some of the ways that we've been uh exploring, but it's so hard fought and it it's so messy and it's so fraught with peril uh and you know this is precisely and I think this is why these mythological and religious narrative stories have been constructed in the way they've been and this is effectively the argument that eric neumann makes um uh, Former student of Young and psychologist, and he looks at the, the mythical stories of various religions throughout time, similar to uh, Joseph Campbell and, of course, Peterson's work, where basically, you know, the overarching structure is finding, let's say, usefulness, finding something that that works, finding something that brings stability and order to your experience of reality for some, even if difficult to define, good. And then having that order become uh, stultified in some way or become corrupted in some way, and then having it shift from being something beneficial to being something detrimental. And then the process by which that dynamic is updated is the energy, or in these stories, the regenerative hero, the Messiah character, who rather than being the force of good order or the force of... Corruptive chaos that is playing out in this dynamic is the one that optimally mediates between the two to make sure that they're constantly constantly have a method of updating so that we continue to move forward. And not destroy ourselves basically so that we even if if, even if we only gain an inch of progress every you know 10,000 years or whatever it is like real progress that that is the. The state of consciousness or the animus, or the energy, or the idea that allows for that process to continue to take place uh, in a method that serves us rather than destroys us, let's say. And it's just so interesting to me that, and I didn't intend to you know, weave it that direction today, although I, you know, I've been thinking about these concepts a lot lately, but it, the veracity of that framing continues to emerge in my mind when we talk about these things and we try to ask ourselves these questions like what is the the purpose the benefit of technology what does progress mean how is it mediated how do we, how do we engage it properly and it always seems to be a recurrence of that dynamic and of course not surprisingly i think that's why even though most people may not interpret it this way or even realize this why those stories were were so central and constructed in that way because whether or not they're contending with the internet in in 2021 and the pan, the state panopticon or whatever challenges technology was both overcoming and creating in 3000 BC that overarching framework was the most optimal one to mediate the dynamic
1: optimally i i, I like uh this idea of kind of the the human or or the hero's journey a bit, you know in terms of because i think that's what's happening for all of us right now is we all have to go through our own hero's journey of trying to like understand this reasonless world like find bitcoin or whatever recover it like use that to reintegrate and you know uh, uh, essentially be able to like move progress forward and to me what's so interesting is that uh you know like this has been a constant story repeatedly throughout all of human history but i again like i think that we're at this uh you know really in my opinion like this is the moment of humanity because now we're dealing with these technologies and we're except at such these extreme places that we're also dealing with metaphysical stuff and i think that to One of the biggest ones is, is with how big the world is, how many people there is, uh, how much stuff is going on. Like, it's really hard to say anything like of certainty anymore. And I think one of the things that Bitcoin and Satoshi did was to essentially like from this first principle thing, be like, look, like, uh, like our physical bodies and like the materialism of the world is like this huge problem because like it instigates violence and like the state instigates violence and all these things so like utilizing cryptography and bonding it to our economic wealth we now have this ability to like abscond from physicality and to me like this is this radical break from everything else because like once we take physicality off the table there's no more there's no way to instigate violence against each other which is like pretty much what the entirety of human civilization is about is about how we can utilize these different techniques of violence against each other and what i'm talking about with the the totalitarian panopticon is like this is a form of discrete violence that's so so powerful that it actually augments the entirety of life and i mean to, to be clear the man who came up with the panopticon jeremy bethlehem who was regarded widely as you know, one of the most astounding philosophers of the 16th century, he said about the panopticon, he said, this is the most powerful idea that I have ever had and is the most important idea that has been had thus far. And I think that that's astounding because he really recognized how powerful it was to have an apparatus that people couldn't tell if it was monitoring them or not, which is where we're at. You know, and so in this progress, we have to deal with this exact question of how do we have privacy? How do we get to do all of these things for ourselves that, you know, Bitcoin actually answers from this fundamental space and place that's so important. Um, And also going back to about the slapstick notion of God, like I absolutely believe, you know, for, for me, like that was one of the things in my own transcendental experiences with LSD that like I got is that like. I think God is, is the funniest, you know, that, that's his entire mode of operation as like through this really slapstick sense of humor. That's like really extreme, you know. Um, so much so, like when we die, we're like, but, but like, God, like, how could you, how could you let the Holocaust happen? And I think he'd be like, what Like, what do you mean? How could I let it happen? Like, you guys are the ones who did all of it and furthermore, if you didn't know about all the shit that happened in the Holocaust, you know, like, like he has good reasoning for all of his stuff. Um, and I mean, the Holocaust probably isn't the best example. Uh, I, I don't know how to ex- explain it other than like in my personal life, like, and I think is one of the best people to talk to about this, like, there are these serendipities and synchronicities that are happening far too often and frequently that, that are really funny and also extremely profound. And like, I don't know what to really do with that other than realize that like, God just has this great sense of humor. Um, and I also think that's like, frankly, like that's why Bitcoiners are finding themselves where they are, like, you know, I don't think any of us really had this strong expectation to like be part of the vanguard of this global, you know, monetary revolution. That's like really about something totally fucking different from money, Um, which I'm convinced at this point, it's really about like the common wealth of what it is to be human.